What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Mucky Finance Show podcast. Today is uh, Monday, August 23rd. Um, two pieces of, of, of news I want to give before we get into today's episode, which, by the way, I'll be titling um, why the S&P 500 is probably the best uh, investment you can make for the rest of your life. Um, that's going to be the title of the podcast and what we'll mainly be discussing. Two pieces of news. So one is um, the second YouTube channel, the Mucky Finance Show, which is going to be directly correlated with this podcast, will start having video recordings starting on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The first one is scheduled for tomorrow, August 24th, on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. So that's going to be live on that uh, YouTube channel, The Monkey Finance Show, if you want to catch that live um, and see the video. If you don't, then probably by the next day, and I'm still working on uh, the timing, probably around noon the next day, that will be available as a podcast episode like this one that you're listening to. So it's going to be a little bit of a delay. I, I, I can't figure out a way to stream it live on the air and have it update as a podcast right away unless you guys want like that podcast uh, audio to get processed at midnight, which I think is useless because most of you will be sleeping anyways. So I figured I'd get to work on uh, processing that audio file and making it a podcast the next day and getting it to you sometime by noon. So that's the first uh, sort of update that I have, which will be exciting. It's more monkey finance content that you can catch, uh, not just the uh, the uh, original YouTube channel, which of course is, is always going to be a great source of investing knowledge. Uh, but this is just kind of you guys getting to know me a little bit better uh, through different avenues and me kind of branching out uh, my business and, and looking at different avenues of, of revenue growth for my business. So this is definitely going to be one thing that I'll be trying out. And again, it it might turn into what I hopefully expected to turn into is a live show where I get to interact with you, the audience, uh, because that's really what's important for me is getting as much interaction with you guys. That's really what uh, fuels me. Of course, I do get uh, paid for all this, and there is a sort of monetary gain for me on the other end. Um, that's secondary to me. I kind of structured my life where I don't even need to do this anymore. Um, I think I'll be just fine, but I, I choose to do it because it, it really is fulfilling and something that I like to do. The second piece of, of news that I have for you guys, which is kind of exciting as well, is I've gotten uh, a lot of different promo merchandise ordered that I, I would like to give away. So I'm trying to structure the giveaways. Um, kind of want to include everybody... Uh, that's uh, listening to the podcast, that subscribes to the Monkey Finance channel, that's on my Instagram, that um, follows me on the second channel now. Kind of want to include everybody so you all have a fair, equal shot, especially private members too, because you guys support me a lot in, in, in your $5 a month donations to the Monkey Finance uh, private member community. I want to include everybody. So I've already promised a few things. One is a, a couple of private members already are going to be getting some of the giveaway stuff. So you guys know who you are. Um, if the time comes and I've forgotten again because I got a lot going on, please DM me or email me or reach out to me on Discord. And say, hey, Moki, you promised me this. So um, just uh, as a reminder, too. Um, I want to give everybody else a fair shot. So I will uh, be giving away, I'm going to list the items on Instagram. And when the time gets closer, of course, we're still like, I think 7,700 subscribers. So we're still got 2,300 or some to go. 
So this is probably not going to be happening for a couple of months at the very least, maybe till the end of the year. I don't know. We'll see. But I will be listing those on the Instagram page. So I'll be like taking pictures and posting pictures of what the giveaways are so that you guys can uh, sort of separately um, kind of compete for these items. So the way I'm going to do it and the way I I think I'm going to do it is I'm going to have a question. First, I'm going to take a picture, obviously, of what I'm giving away. And then under that, uh, in the caption, I'm going to have a question of, I don't know, something money or investing or monkey finance related. And the first person with the correct answer in the comment section uh, for that picture will win that giveaway item. Um, And this way, you kind of have multiple chances of winning, right? If you miss the first post, you might get the second and third and fourth or all the different stuff. So, of course, I'll be giving away promo items such as monkey finance gear. Uh, Mucky Finance decals, all that kind of stuff. Also do want to give away some Mucky Finance private memberships. Um, I think we have some good discussions in the private Discord. I really like that aspect of the private membership side. Um, So I want to give people some Discord access for free. Um, I I don't know the duration of that access. I'm debating whether it's going to be a month, a couple of months, a whole year. Maybe I'll have different giveaways like somebody, well, that's kind of not fair. Now, everybody will win the same amount of access, let's say that, to the Discord. And then I also want to give away a few of my coaching sessions. Now, my coaching sessions, uh, for those of you that don't uh, know or have never signed up for a coaching session, I offer non-investing coaching sessions. So these are really to help you learn how to better handle your money. So we go over things like budgeting, uh, saving, paying off debt, and really different uh, spending patterns and behaviors that I try to extract from you, the client, to really help you learn how to make your money go further, how to stretch your money. So I like giving away these coaching sessions. I do run a coaching business that I have um, done over the past two years that I actually take on clients and have this sort of uh, financial boot camp, as I like to call it. Um, those are people that are more interested in uh, ongoing weekly sessions, but I also do these one-on-one, one, one-off sessions. So I'd like to give a, away a few of those as well to the listeners. Um, for some of you, you might not benefit from those, so maybe don't enter uh, in, in in your answer for to win that and try to win something else. And for those of you that really... Um, think it'll be beneficial, but maybe you can't afford uh, the, the fee to do it with me. This is a free way for you to do it. So I'm kind of excited for both of those things. You'll be hearing me talk about most of those uh, things in going into the future as we get closer to these giveaways. But that's the two pieces of exciting news. So I'm looking forward uh, to that show going live starting tomorrow night. All right, with that uh, sort of housekeeping stuff out of the way, let's jump into today's topic. Um, Let's talk about why just investing in the S&P 500, for example, and not for example, it's the only investment we would do, is probably the best thing you can do. Um, You know, on my uh, channel, I look at a lot of different things that uh, beats the S&P 500, a lot of uh, different ways that uh, you can structure investments to kind of hedge against the S&P 500. Uh, I probably don't spend enough time just talking about the S&P 500 and what would happen if you just bought the S&P 500, right? Because I don't uh, hide the fact that the S&P 500 is something that's uh, historically, at least, has been something that's probably beaten almost 85, 90% of 
of uh, other investments over the years. Uh, but it's it's interesting in, in also that it usually goes up, right? So the S&P 500, uh, since its existence, now originally it wasn't, uh, if you go all the way back to its original existence, it wasn't uh, 500 companies at the beginning. It was much less. But since its inception, if you just go back and even uh, before it became officially the S&P 500, if you go back to 1926, um, by the way, there's many different online websites that have this data. So you can kind of uh, siphon out which ones you trust. Um, I specifically use a lot of Y chart stuff, but um, Yahoo Finance, I think, has good numbers as well. You can look at their historical data on the S&P 500. But if you just kind of go back to that year, 1926, and just look at the first couple of years in returns, and this is year by year. So if you just put money in the S&P 500 at the beginning of the year, what is uh, that percentage at the end of the year? So January 1st of the beginning of the year to December 31st at the end of the year. Well, 1926, you would have returned 11.62%. Pretty good. 1927, you would have returned 37.49%. Pretty good. 1928, you would have returned 43.61%. That's really good. So what does this mean uh, for somebody who just would have put their money in the S&P 500? Well, it means that you probably would have made money in that three-year period. Of course, if you guys know where I'm going with this, that three-year period led to the great... uh, uh, not recession. Why am I saying recession? I'm so used to saying the recession, the Great Depression, right? So from 1929 um, to to the uh, basically, if you want to go through World War II and to end to the end of World War II, World War II, um, I can't even say that right. Um, the S and P 500 had a rough go at it, right? So 1929, negative 8.42. 1930, negative 2.4, or I'm sorry, negative 24.9. Uh, 1931, negative 43.34%. 1932, negative 8.19%. So this idea of, hey, I just put my money in the S&P 500. Well, if you did that in 1926, you'd look like a genius up until 1929. And then from 1929 to 1932, you'd look like a fool. But it gets better. So you go genius, fool, but could you be a genius again? 1933, the S&P 500 returns 53.99%. So it uh, made you look like a genius in 1933. And then it kind of uh, laid flat in 1934. It was negative 1.44%. So you don't look like a fool or a genius. And then here we go again. 1935, 47.67%. 1936, 33.92%, which is funny because 1936 is that year that's associated with the Great Depression, but the S&P 500 did 33.92%. Even in 1935, it did 477 So what I'm getting at is if you just had your money in the S&P 500, you can see that even at a time where uh, maybe from 1926 to 1950, the overall market was flat in, in returns as far as what the points were for the S&P 526 versus what they are in 1950, um, you could see the individual years fluctuate. So could you, as an investor, say, um, had some extra cash laying around in 1930 or 1931, 
could you have potentially invested, say, an additional 500 bucks in, in 1930 or 1931? Yes, you could have. And all of a sudden, your returns are not going to be the returns of the S&P 500 because all of a sudden you put in a variable. You're buying uh, uh, money at a different time. And so it's no, no longer a time-weighted return. Now it becomes a money-weighted return because you just put money in um, – not as a lump sum investment, but as sort of a dollar cost average, if you will. In 1931, well, it was down 43%, which would be a strategic play. Same thing if you, in 1937, for example, if you saw the negative 35% drop and you put in another 100 bucks or 500, whatever you put in, um, 1938 would have yielded you 31.12% on the money that you put in and the money you already had invested. So even though the S&P maybe was flat, you would have done better than the market. And this isn't difficult to do. I mean, this is sort of being reactive uh, instead of proactive. And I made a video um, about this in, uh, in, I think the video is titled, How I Beat the S&P 500, or I forgot what, what I titled that video. But essentially what I tell people to do, the easiest way to do it is, one dollar cost average, right? That's you want to get the returns of the market, so you dollar cost average every month, or however you got your dollar cost averaging set up. And then two, you have this set uh, criteria or these set parameters where, okay, if the S and P five hundred falls ten percent, and maybe I have extra cash laying around for whatever reason, not a market timing reason. I'm not telling you uh, don't invest any money and only save in cash. And then when the market does this, invest your cash. That would be uh, dumb because the market would outgrow uh, whatever benefits you would have by doing that, right? The market goes up 80 or 75% of the time, call it 80% of the time. So eight out of 10 years, the market's going up, two out of 10, it's going down. So if you're sitting around waiting for those two out of 10, you might miss some great run-ups in the market. What I am saying though is if you're someone like me who doesn't use credit and I have cash for everything, I use cash for everything, I save a lot of cash for a lot of different reasons, whether it's to buy a car, whether it's to purchase, I don't know, name anything. Anything that I purchase, I purchase with cash because I don't even have a credit card. So saving for a vacation, for example, is one thing I'm doing now. Uh, if the market crashed uh, this year 43%, uh, I would put my vacation on delay, take my vacation funds and invest it in the market. And that's how I beat the market because it's down 43% and I'm buying at the bottom. Now, you might say, well, how do you know that's the bottom? I don't. So I use these set of parameters that if the market's down 10%, this is how I react. If the market's down 20%, this is how I react. And if the market is down 30%, this is how I react. Now, do you think I made those up just out of thin air? Probably not. I went and studied... What are some of the worst negative years? And what I noticed is double-digit negative years are really hard to come by. Um, so double-digit meaning 10% or more. They're really hard to come by. So let me tally off those negative. Since 1926, how many times has the S&P 500 had a negative year? So 1930 is one. These are some of the ones I already used. 1931 is the other. Uh, again, this is a important time in history. 1937 as well is the other. And then 1941. And I have to go up to the list. Now listen to this. From 1941 till 1957. 
So that's 16, 17-year period the S&P did not have a negative double-digit year in, in returns. And in 1957, it did. But listen to this. It's only negative 10.78%. So I would have had that extra cash buying opportunity there only really uh, in this last, I want to say, 20 years, only really once. And it was only negative 10.78. From there, we have to go all the way to 1966 to reach a negative 10.06% return. Again, if you were somebody who had these parameters but was sitting in all cash, basically from 1941, you'd be sitting in cash until 1957, you would have missed returns of 36%, 31%, 24%, 52% and 54, uh, 31% and 55 because you're waiting for this negative thing to happen and it didn't happen. And it doesn't happen that often. Um, that's why, again, it's important not to sit in cash and to be in the market as much as you can. But of course, if you do have, this is an example of if you do have cash laying around, um, maybe this is a viable strategy. Here we go again. So 1957, or I'm sorry, I said 1966 is your next chance. It was only down negative 10.06%. From that, you have to go back to, you have to go up to 1973 and 1974. Of course, there's a big stock market crash here. Uh, respectively, respectively, it was negative 14.66% in 73 and negative 26.47% in 74. So there's a good buying opportunity where this strategy that I talk about works because if you have some extra cash and the market goes down negative 10%, you deploy 25% of that extra cash. So I would have done that in 1973. And then in 1974, the market went down negative 26%. So again, I would have deployed the additional 50% because the second part of my strategy is deploy first hits 10% or, or worse. I deploy 10, uh, 25% of my cash. If it drops 20% or more, I deploy 50% of my cash. And then the other 25% I have remaining if it crosses negative 30. Now, if you, if you listen to these examples that I've used, it didn't have a decade or not a decade. It didn't have a year where it crossed negative 30, but it doesn't mean that the drawdown within one of those uh, time periods uh, could have easily uh, had a negative 30 drawdown. Again, I didn't um, break down drawdowns. I just looked at year over year returns, but I'm sure if I went in and, and found the drawdowns for these specific years, it was more than what it returned that year. So meaning it was negative by a lot more than what it closed the year out as. And then from basically 75, um, it's smooth sailing, and I would be sitting in on the sidelines with a lot of cash all the way up until 2001. Think about this. If you're a market timer and you have uh, this idea that you're going to time the market because it's overvalued, well, in 1975, which the market, again, did 37%, and then 1976, it did 23%, and somebody say, well, market's overvalued again. Uh You'd be sitting on the sidelines and waiting for a ten percent drop until two thousand and one. Now I know in nineteen eighty seven we had the the crash in October of eighty seven. Again, a lot of people don't know this, but the market actually closed higher in eighty seven than it opened in eighty seven by about five and a quarter percent. So yeah, even if you had that twenty percent big crash in one day, um, the market still closed out in the green. So you'd be waiting a long time again until two thousand and one to deploy that extra cash if you're a market timer. Uh, 2002, you'd be down negative 22%. You'd take advantage of that. And of course, again, 
The next time you would have an opportunity is the great uh, financial recession of 2008, where the market lost 37%. And then since then, since 2008, uh, you wouldn't have that opportunity again. But the, the, the crazy part is you'd have these periods in between that had drawdowns. So for example, 2000, the market finished up 18%, but it had a drawdown. The S&P had a drawdown in 2000 of negative 34%. So would it would it have been a good idea to take advantage of that? I think so, uh, and I did in 2000, and I was rewarded. I also took advantage of in 2018. This is kind of towards the beginning of my investing career, but I do remember in 2018, uh, quarter four, especially December, I think it was down like negative 14%. And I still had uh, back then in 2018, I had some debt that I didn't finish paying off until June of 2019. Uh, but I really wanted to invest in the stock market. So I remember I had a had an extra uh, uh, payment that I was going to make on a piece of debt. And I was so intrigued that the market was down 14%. I took that payment and, and put it in the stock market. Looking back at that, that's probably one of the better decisions I made because that has grown. Uh, I think at the time I did that, the stock market was 2,600 or the S&P was 2,600 points. When I say the stock market, I'm just referring to the S&P, by the way. Um, and now it's at, I think, almost crossing 4,500. So that's a pretty smart investment I did in, in December of 2018. But what I'm trying to get at is if you just stay in the market, you're going to get all of these amazing returns of the market. And if you have some cash that you've dedicated to some other thing that's not investing and you see one of these magnificent opportunities to deploy that capital, I would deploy that capital and start saving again, which I've done. In in March of 2020, I was saving for a vehicle and I decided when the market started hitting those parameters of it went first by the end of February, it went down negative 10 then by the um, uh, middle of March, it went negative 20. And then at one point, it hit negative 30. I think this was closer to March 23rd. And I did my buy uh, March 20th or March 21st. I remember I did my buy two days before the low. So while I didn't time that perfectly, I was timing it on the, the entire way down. I kept buying and buying and buying to the point where all that uh, extra money that I had saved for a car... I basically used it all up and I said, okay, well, great. I won't buy a car and I hope the market doesn't go down anymore because I'm out of cash. And my wish was granted the market doubled. Of course, this is not normal and not guaranteed, but the market doubled since that point. And that 10,000 that I deployed is now worth 20,000. So maybe I can take that 20,000 and go buy a car uh, because it's already long-term gains at this point. We're in August of 2021. So that's kind of the strategy that I use, but can somebody just buy the S&P 500 and make it the best investment and still outperform the market with just the S&P? Yes, you can. You don't need a Mookie 3 strategy. You don't need all this crazy additional diversification. You can just buy the S&P 500 of the biggest mega cap companies in the United States. Uh, I would be willing to bet my money on those companies long term. Uh, a lot more than any other asset class, um, even international, even small cap value, even 
while those asset classes do tend to outperform the S&P in certain times, um, the S&P is still the S&P. There's a reason that 60% of my portfolio is uh, in the U.S. stock market or S&P 500 index fund because it is the king of kings. And there is nothing wrong for someone that wants to have just an S&P 500 fund. As a matter of fact, I would encourage it, especially if it's your first $100,000 that you're looking to save and invest in the stock market. Why not just keep it simple, put in the S&P 500, get some of these returns. Listen to some of these returns uh, if you just started investing this past decade in 2011. So if uh, you started investing in 2011, you would have 2.1% in 2011, not that impressive. 2012, you'd return 16%. 2013, you'd return 32%. 2014, you'd get 13%. 2015 was kind of flat, but you still got up 1%. 2016, you're up 11%. 2017, you're up 21%. Of course, 2018 was negative. Uh, this was the year that I kind of took advantage and I first started using this strategy that I used, but I was down for, it was down, the market was down 4.38% for the year. Uh, came back roaring in 2019, 31.49. 2020, it's up 18.4. And 2021, so far, it's up 19.36. Um, course, this year is still happening, so we don't know what it's going to close at. But anyways, what I'm getting at is if you just wanted to do this and put your money in the S&P 500, one of the most simplest investments, I think even if you know nothing about investing, like me in 2018, I knew nothing about investing, but I knew about VOO. I knew what VOO was, and that's the fund that I was using, and that's the fund that I deployed my um, my debt payoff or my debt uh, repayment uh amount into, but it's so simple, right? Like everybody knows what VOO is. They just think that it's one of those investments that are not going to do anything great. It, it's slow. It's boring. It's an index fund. But in in reality, if you use that and maybe pair it with a, a, a strategy like what I do where I deploy extra cash. And now I know everybody's not a cash, uh, uh, what do I say? a cash consumer, meaning that a lot of people, if they want a car, they don't save for a car in cash. They actually take out a car loan. So if that's you, probably ignore the stuff that I'm telling you um, and just invest regularly as you will with your dollar cost averaging. But if you're someone who's like me, who has at any given time, maybe more cash than they need, um, you can either strategically deploy that in the market with sort of a market timing strategy like I use and I gave you what that was, um, or you can hang on to that and buy the thing that you wanted to buy in the first place and just ignore uh, what I'm telling you. Anyways, I'll uh, get off the uh, bandwagon here of timing and, and deploying cash and all that to give you these final words of wisdom when it comes to the S&P 500. If you're a beginner investor who has money to deploy, whether the market's at all-time highs or all-time lows, I think you should deploy that money today. So the S&P 500 is probably going to break a record today and be at 4,500 points. I think you should deploy that money today. Now, tomorrow, that market might crash by 50%. I don't know. Chances of that happening are uh, 2 out of 10, so 20%. Chances of it going up are 80%. So play those odds as you will. Um, I don't like the odds of 20% something happening. It's like 20% chance of rain. Do you go outside with an umbrella? Probably not. 80% chance of rain? Do you go outside with an umbrella? You probably do. So again, it's a game of chances. 
and you have to kind of uh, play your chances wisely and be strategic with it. But for the most part, I always recommend people not to time their initial investment. Get in the market and stay in the market. Don't buy and sell when you're in the market. But with any additional capital, this is where I, I talk about the strategy. With any additional capital, you can get better performance than the market uh, by simply not being proactive, which I usually tell people, be proactive, not reactive, but by simply being reactive and saying, okay, S&P is down 30%. Hmm, I have this uh, car fund. I can probably wait off buying a car for a couple more years, and then I deploy this money for the car fund. Now, I'm not telling you to take every single dollar out uh, of your emergency fund and all the cash you have to buy the S&P 500. I'm simply saying if you're using a lot of cash like I do, you can part with that cash and still have a cash left to buy whatever you want to buy or have an emergency fund or whatever the case may be. It's not a uh, all or nothing type of thing. You know what I mean? This should be a strategy that is used wisely, um, calculated, and not an emotional decision. Like I said, a set, put a set of parameters where the market's down this much and this is what I do. And if those parameters are not hit, then simply use that cash as you originally planned and the market and your investment journey goes on. There is no, uh, oh, I wish I should have done this or no second guessing yourself. You know, there's no what if or if, none of that. Uh, it's that simple. So hopefully you guys enjoyed today's episode. Like I said, starting tomorrow, these will be live on the Monkey Finance uh, show, which is the second YouTube channel. If you want to check me out there, uh, if you're not subscribed, please go subscribe over there. What are you waiting for? Tomorrow is the first episode, so you better uh, jump on that. And then I'm also going to be uh, reading some of your questions live on the air. So if you want a chance to get your question answered, uh, probably say uh, jump on the live stream and uh, we'll have some good interactions there. Uh, let me see if we got any reviews before I sign off. Uh, August 10th stands. Okay, so no new reviews since last time. Again, if you want to help support this podcast, make sure you leave me a rating and a review on the Apple Podcast side. All right, guys, uh, see you tomorrow. And until next time, remember, move obstacles, keep investing. Keep investing.